Welcome to the Tending Our Nets podcast, where we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage everyone to learn more, and we work to equip believers to share their faith with everyone they know. So, uh, who are we? <laughs> Why are we here? Um, so, um, we're uh, just a, a group of guys that uh, we started talking uh, after some of the latest Bible pod, Bible Project podcast uh, episodes on the atonement and on sacrifice. Uh, and we just kind of started listening and going, there are things here that we wish that they would have either said differently or nuanced, or maybe there's context that um, might help people kind of bring uh, frames to this that help them understand maybe the bigger picture of some of this stuff. Uh, so we're all Bible nerds, but um, in each in our own way. Um, so if you guys want to introduce yourself, uh, my name is Joshua Sherman, and I'm just kind of hosting and recording here, and um, I, I guess I'll move on to Spencer. Okay. Um, I'm Spencer Owen. Um, I don't like he said, I don't really have you know, any major credentials or anything. I'm just somebody who really, really loves uh, reading Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good. That's, a, that's a credential in and of itself, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah, Phil, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, really quickly, I um, started listening to Bible Project and the whole Tim Mackey um, backlog, um, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, he changed the way I read the Bible, um, gave me freedom to just read it kind of on its own terms um, to the point where we, we named our son Mackey <laughs> um, after Tim Mackey, but we've got Scottish heritage as well. So that fits. Um, yeah. And at one point after I'd been given freedom to, to read the Bible on its own terms. And I was kind of challenging stuff that I'd believed my whole life. Um, someone asked me about, uh, or just as a throwaway comment, just said, God poured out his wrath on Jesus. And I was like, hang on, <laughs> let me just go back and check where that is in the Bible. And I couldn't find it. And four years later, I'd written about 40,000 words of notes as I explored and studied the atonement and yeah, just, consumed so many books and podcasts and um leviticus has become one of my favorite things to read mm. um so yeah I've, I've uh halfway through well no more than half i almost finished writing a book that's turned out to be on sacrifice it started on atonement but that was too big so sacrifice is kind of where i'm at but yeah been studying atonement and sacrifice for like four or five years not formally just yeah in my spare time <laughs> nice uh hi i'm I'm Troy Yurchek. Um, like the rest of us, just a Bible nerd. I love, uh, I love the Bible. Um, started questioning what I was handed uh, from a modern Western evangelical perspective, probably about six years ago, um, and ran into Tim Mackey's Exploring Our Strange Bible and fell in love with his perspective. Same thing with the Bible Project and their videos. Uh, I still share them with people because uh, they they explain things so well um yeah so tim mackie i'm a big fan and then it comes to these last couple episodes and and kind of like joshua said there was some questions going wait that that's not how i've seen it or seen it explained before so mm -hmm. anyways yeah 
Yeah, and I, I think uh, it was interesting too for me because going through and listening to the second episode that they didn't sacrifice, I actually felt like it would have been much better served if they had done that one first. First, um, because there are some big picture things that they mentioned that when mm. you then get into the atonement and you have that, that big picture frame about sacrifice, it makes a lot more sense uh, that they picked up a lot more on on talking about some of the communal aspect of and the, and the, the feast of, of, you know, people coming and giving sacrifices and then having a feast with people and with God and, and that the sacrifices, gifts and those kinds of things they got into in the second episode. Um, but when we start talking about the atonement first, that stuff kind of was just mentioned either in passing or completely absent. And I feel like it just, it kind of set us up for this conversation about atonement in a vacuum. And, and that was where we started to have conversations and say, maybe we should talk about some of this stuff with sacrifice and try to put it in a little more context. Um, so they already did some of that. And, and some of that I think was really helpful and really good. Um, but we just wanted to kind of talk through it and do that a little bit more. Uh, and for me, I think one of the, one of the first things uh, when I've been digging into the atonement for a little while now too, is just looking at it and saying, you know, I feel like there's kind of two really big picture mistakes people can make when they, when they do this. Um, one of them is to come to the table with, this is what I've always been taught about what Jesus did and how he accomplished it on the cross. And now I'm going to read that back into the Old Testament sacrifices. And that's going to tell me more about what Jesus did. And it's the circular thing, but it starts with, I already know what's going on in the Old Testament. And I don't really need to study it much because I already know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what, you know, Tim Mackey was doing or, at all. <laughs> um, but, but that's a framework that a lot of people do bring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are some points where I feel like uh, it became a little bit obvious that there was some of that that was going on in some of the stuff that, that Mackey was reading. So um, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Morales. So much of this is awesome. He does a really good job with the typology and connecting dots with biblical theology. Um, but one of the things that I ran into that... Tim Mackey mentioned just in, just briefly in passing, I was talking about Noah. Uh, and so um, on page 60 here, uh, returning to the word rest, this same root is at the heart of Lamech's hope as he names his son Noah. Noah fulfills his name by offering up ascension offerings from the summit of the Ararat Mount. Only when Yahweh smells the soothing aroma of atonement does his wrath relent so that he covenants not to destroy the present cosmos by means of a deluge, although the problem of evil within the human heart remains. Uh, And so there's this idea here that what happens is God's mad. He brings the flood. Noah makes a sacrifice, and that makes everything better. And when you actually go into Genesis 8 and you read it, you have, like, first of all, wrath language is absent. God talks about, you know, I I regret that I've made humankind because of the wickedness and all of this stuff that's happened. Um, But it's not necessarily wrath. But then you also have... This nuance of God remembers Noah, right? He remembers Noah, and then when the and the waters recede, enough for Noah to get out, and then Noah makes the sacrifice. So the whole chronology of it is backwards. If what you're trying to do is to say that this is wrath appeasement, um, and and that's something that I think that that Morales brings into it partly because of his theological background that Tim Mackey was picking up on, and you can see different places where Mackey kind of follows that and places where he doesn't. And it's just interesting to kind of see where he leans on different things. Uh, but all that to say, I think if we read what we think we understand uh, back into the Old Testament stuff, sometimes we can read things that aren't there. Uh, and I think that's a good example of that. Uh, the flip side would be um, looking at the Old Testament sacrifices as an equation and saying, okay, I need to solve for X. 
and what 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 could possibly fit into x to 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 bring this about and like jesus is the ultimate x so he fits in there he takes care of the equation right um and and that really doesn't work either um partly because i think what we see is that that there's a sense in which jesus fulfills all of the old testament sacrifices the purpose that they that they were given for he fulfills right and so to try to take any one of them and say he fulfills this every step of the way the procedures are different the steps are different mm -hmm. the, the categories are different the the aims mm -hmm. of them are different you can't really do that uh, and and a good example of this is something where you just look at it and you say okay you know whenever we take communion we take the bread and the wine the body and the blood however people understand the relationship between those two things right we're partaking of that because jesus said to partake of it in the old testament sacrifices you never ever partook of the blood and you couldn't partake of the meat of a sacrifice whose blood was taken into the sanctuary. Uh, and in Hebrews, we, we see it talked about Jesus bringing his blood in and cleansing the heavenly tabernacle. Right? So you, you have this thing of like, if I try to make the Old Testament sacrifices the pattern this has to fit into, then I'm, I'm literally contradicting that pattern in Jesus. That's really weird and uncomfortable. And then it, you kind of go, maybe these are the types and shadows that point to the archetype that point to christ as the fulfillment and if i understand the fulfillment i can understand those types and shadows better it's not that i want to read the the, the fulfillment back into everything in every detail that's the other end of this coin right right um but but we just have to be careful to, to not jump too quickly into one or the other and to really kind of um, be thoughtful about the details we read in the old testament not reading stuff into them that isn't there um, but also recognizing that they they are pointing to something that is bigger and greater and more fu more fulfilled and three dimensional than the types and shadows that they are. Uh, so that's kind of the way I would introduce this. Does anybody have anything yeah. they want to bring up with us? So what 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 you're saying is that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament Leviticus offerings and sacrifice, but those sacrifices are coming from an ancient context. It's yeah. not the other way around where um, whatever Jesus has done dictated how God spoke to and related to the ancient Israelites. God entered into a relationship with the ancient Israelites in their culture and from the culture that they were already practicing, mm -hmm. God redefined how they were doing it and showed them what it looked like to be in a relationship with Yahweh yeah. God. And yeah, I think the forms we the see way are more that, 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 but then like a lot of the yeah. details of the redefinition are because of who yeah. Christ is and what he did. Recognizing kind of like what you yeah. said about... Uh, uh, I thought it might be helpful as well. Uh, I was just going to say it might be helpful at some point to, to look at other ancient um, sacrifices. Like I've got the Epic of Gilgamesh where with the flood story mm -hmm. and they offer a sacrifice... Yeah. Uh, um, or um, is it Bell and the Dragon from the the Daniel stories, where they offer daily food offerings to their idol? So, I'd, if we want to read those, we could do that. That might be really helpful for people to get an understanding of of just what it looked like in an ancient culture. Yeah. Do you have any of those available? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, which is from uh, two and a half thousand BC or maybe later or earlier. <laughs> um, so it's describing the flood narrative um, 
and it says, I sent forth a raven and released it. The raven went off and saw the waters slither back. It eats, it scratches, it bobs, but does not circle back to me. I sacrificed. I offered a libation to the four corners of the world. I burned incense in front of the rising mountain. Seven and seven cult vessels I put in place. And into the bowls I poured the oil of reeds, cedar, cedar and metal. The gods smelled the savour. The gods smelled the sweet savour and collected like flies over a sacrifice. So the image is that there's been a flood and there's been no food available for the gods. And then, uh, is it Ut Utnapishtim? Um, he's the only one and the only man to escape the flood who's caused by the angry god seeking to destroy all human life. Um, he offers a sacrifice and then the gods are so hungry that they gather like flies over this food that's being offered. I just find that really interesting that that, that was how the ancients viewed sacrifice. God, Yahweh God is redefining mm -hmm. what that practice that they were already doing is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, you still have the food, but you mm -hmm. don't have the sense yeah. that, that he needs it. Right. Right. Yep. It's more the offering yep. of it as, as a goodwill thing of, um, I want to be in relationship. I want to provide hospitality. I want to invite, you know, God in, I want to give back in Thanksgiving for what you, God has provided for me. I get back mm -hmm. a part right. of it yep. too. And right. so, um, yeah, and I feel like that whole thing of sacrifices as gifts and hospitality and food, um, it gets mentioned more in the second episode, which is good. Um, but mm. it doesn't, it didn't really register very much except for like the one food offering um, in the first episode. And, and so I was hoping, Phil, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, the whole thing with ancient sacrifices and how people saw it and sacrifices, <laughs> gifts and hospitality and all that. Because I feel like understanding that frame as the big frame and then saying, when we talk about sin offerings and guilt offerings, whatever we're talking about, they fit within this overarching frame of understanding sacrifices. I feel like that mm. provides context that we don't have when we think of atonement as the main thing. And then these other sacrifices are kind of just floating around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I haven't got notes, <laughs> um, but right. like, like in that story from the Epic of Gilgamesh, um how how did an ancient know whether their sacrifice was accepted or not was so they would they would seek the god's favor they would offer the sacrifice and they would be hoping to win the battle or they would be hoping for rain on their crops or whatever it was how would they know if the god had heard and accepted their sacrifice well they'd win the battle <laughs> they'd get rain um, there just doesn't seem to be um, the idea of being defeated in battle and then feeling the need to offer a sacrifice to appease the angry God. Mm. It seems like it's the other way around. You, you want to, to, to seek the God's favor. Mm -hmm. You want the God to accept what you offer. And so you've got to offer something good. It's got to be worth it. And then you'll know if it's accepted because... Yeah, you'll get the rain. You, you'll yeah. win the battle. Yeah. Um, but we see a similar thing with the... Um, go on. Oh, I, I was just going to say, it's, it seems to me like even in the ancient sacrifices, and this is, this is where, mm. for me, it, it kind of reset my whole thinking when I started to read more about this, was even in the, the ancient and pagan sacrifices in first century Rome and like all of this, there's this whole range of what people were doing 
And mm -hmm. primarily what they were doing was we are bringing something to offer to this God, to this spirit that we worship, whoever it is, and we want to be in good relationship with them. So we're going to provide mm -hmm. them with this gifts, this hospitality, this food. We want them to be part of our community. We want to be in their good graces. So there's much more of this sense of communion and community than there is appeasement um, mm -hmm. in that larger frame. But then within that, you also have the, we think that the God is mad at us. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. uh, or we mm. want to, you know, we want to, um, like you said, it, it, we're going into a battle. We want to make sure they're on our side. So let's appease them. It's almost more like a bribe. Mm. Um, so there, there are those two kind of different things. But I feel like the, the mm. overarching one is actually more that sense of communion and, and community. Um, is but that, I, yeah. I found it interesting how the, the now, Phil, you might have comments on this. Um, that in all of the other contexts, it seems that it's humans appealing to the gods, whereas the sacrificial system of Leviticus is God establishing like a, a request for a relationship, like he's requesting the relationship with humanity, whereas all the other ones mm -hmm. is let's try to be in a good relationship with the gods. Mm -hmm. It's, yep. you know, they don't answer until they swarm like flies. They don't answer until the battles won. We're not actually in a relationship. We don't actually know until this point, whereas God, Yahweh is going, no, I want a relationship with you. And here's, here's the meal I want to share with you. Mm. It's almost, a, it, it's, a, it's the inverse. And, and that may just be, I'm just looking at what we've shared today, shared just now and what I'm thinking about in Leviticus. But mm. I mean, there may be more context to that. Yeah, so God, Yahweh God has already uh, um, said that he will dwell in the midst of his people mm -hmm. and he's set up the whole system to reflect that. And now he's showing them, I've rescued you from Egypt. I'm going to dwell in your midst. This is what it's going to look like when you want to approach or draw near. Yeah, and That was really helpful, I thought, about um, Tim Mackey Draw, teasing out the drawing near mm -hmm. um, and how Leviticus sits between the other two books in, in the center. Right. That's, that's what it's going to look like now for his people to draw near to him, but he's already chosen to be in their midst. Yep. Well, I still see that like fellowship and relationship in the, in the Noah um, Olah offering, because yes. what, well, because what happens is he gives the, he gives that ascension offering. And then right after that, you know, the Lord smells the aroma. And then he says, never again, will I curse the ground because of humans and never mm -hmm. again, will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So it's kind of like the thing that needed to be done, the cleansing has already happened. So it's not about averting appeasing wrath or avoiding that it's already happened. Mm -hmm. But what, yeah. because after he smells the sacrifice, then it becomes like it's, it's a free will relational restoration yes. saying okay because i hear that i'm gonna covenant with you yeah god leans yeah. in <laughs> yeah. well and and, and like yeah. for me i look at the whole that whole whole aspect and it's like is there a place where noah was ever under the wrath of god in that scenario mm. and no. i kind of feel like there wasn't 
because God specifically put him in the ark to save him. <laughs> so like yep. the whole whole line of the thing is like this, you're, you are the one I'm going to bring through this because you have been faithful, you have been righteous, you have sought me, um, and I'm bringing your family through so like, you know, you're not just the only guy and you can't, you know, like we need kids, <laughs> right. you know, um, like, and, and so there's, there's very much the sense of God bringing them through that, um, that paralleling the Exodus it's like that the exodus has already happened the covenant you know and and now we have the parallel of at sinai like now we're making this covenant together now you know god no works first and god leans in for the sacrifice for for the, the covenant so yeah. um yes i the relational thing i think is just it's huge and then the the, mm. the cleansing and the, the purity that enables people to safely enter into god's presence is that that other kind of really big theme i think did you want to talk about Passover on that yeah. as well as sure yeah yeah um, as in Israel a lot of people have said to me that Israel was under God's judgment as well as the Egyptians and so that's why the Passover lamb needed to be offered as a substitution sacrifice um, but again and again when I read it I notice that it's because it's definitely judgment on the egyptian gods yes um which it says in the bible yes. um pharaoh yeah, being and... understood to be one of them by the people too uh -huh. so it's definitely judgment on yeah. pharaoh yeah yep um and we or i often forgot that pharaoh had slaughtered all of the firstborn israelites right. and it's so it's it's a, a judgment on egypt as the epitome of the evil nation. Um, and yeah, God is rescuing his people from that. And whatever that looks like with the angel of death, I feel like that language as well, like it's called the Lord, um, the Lord will kill the firstborn and then the angel of death will kill the firstborn. Almost like the author is hesitant to, to attribute that death to God. Hmm. It's interesting too, because I feel like the way to, to kind of fit that into this substitutional frame, you have to be pretty narrow mm. with it, right? Because it's like, if you have multiple households that are small enough, they share it. So yep. there isn't any kind of proportionality between how much lamb you need for each firstborn. Um, mm. And you also you know, have this weird thing of like, technically all of the Israelites that weren't firstborns kind of didn't need that protection mm. yeah what do you do with that in the substitutional framework like it's it's something else is going on here mm -hmm. and um it's more about you're right it's more about the redemption of god's people than it is about the sense of like they're under wrath and the only way they can avoid judgment is to do this thing it's just it's more complicated there's more nuance there's more texture to the whole thing and I feel like when we try to squish it into this pathway here, mm. it's just, we're not reading the text well. Right. It's the same thing as in the, in the actual Levitical sacrifices where the death of the Passover lamb is barely ritualized. I mean, if at all. Mm -hmm. um, and what the text spends the time on is here's what you do with the blood. Here's what you do with the meat. Here's how you cook the meat and, you know, the, the, the whole process therein. So it's more like you're, like, you, 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 the death is still there. 
and it, it's not irrelevant, but that's just really not the central point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like we see, Oh, go ahead. Uh, one of the things that I, I noticed um, is that when you look at the Passover, there is some um, correlations between that and Lot uh, and Sodom and Gomorrah is that there is this judgment coming and it's a call to come out. So the differentiation between who's an Israelite and who's an Egyptian at this moment is who participates in Passover. Yes. So you could have someone that is not blood related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that is now an Israelite because they believed God. He just did, you know, nine great wonders. And this is the 10th. I'm going to trust that the 10th is going to go through. I'll put blood on my door. Yeah. And then you have Israelites who's been serving the gods of Egypt and are bitter at the work and everything else and don't trust the narrative, don't trust the story. And they don't. And you that's, so it's not that the Israelites are under God's wrath. It's that here's how I'm defining Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as much as who's the righteous, those that leave with mm -hmm. Lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, those that are marked out by the blood of the Passover lamb. That's Israel. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm. Well, and can you imagine, yeah. like, if if the whole thing with the firstborn didn't happen after all of that, and you are one of those people that marked your door, like, you're marking yourself for death. Your neighbors are going to probably kill you. Yep. Right. So there's definitely a risk involved. There's definitely trust involved. Uh, but that I mean, we see that even with with uh, Caleb, um, you know, the Kinezite, like he's he's not technically part of the 12 tribes. And yet he exits with the people and he's one of the only f two faithful spies that says we can take them yep. <laughs> when they only go to, and look at the promised land and see giants, you know. Like, and, and later he's a leader of of one of the tribes, as in yeah. he's part of it. So there's that. This is how we define who Israel is, is those that trust God and do what he says, you know, yeah. in, the, in this instance. <clears throat> Phil, is there more you want to talk about with, with the ancient sacrifices and all of that or? Um, I think, I think that's probably right for now. I think we've already talked about that, how it's primarily food. Mm -hmm. um, I actually thought that the second, the second bubble project podcast was really helpful how they talked about um the analogy of um did they say bringing bringing a bottle of wine or yeah um but yeah sharing the grain offering or the first fruits offering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is um i mean food everything that just can't get away from that the the bread mm -hmm. of the presence yeah. um the grain offering the oil everything the animals it's all food and yeah. most of the time it's eaten by a priest mm -hmm. or the human and yeah. often it's in the context of a feast yes um and i think the idea in the ancient mind is that they're sharing in the feast um with their god yes. so actually a lot of spirits has helped a lot <laughs> yeah um <laughs> with um yeah the father's talking about um sacrifices a meal um like, yeah, like Bible Project said, the word sacrifice doesn't show up until <clears throat> chapter three when they're talking about uh, the peace offering. And I think the idea of that is that you share it with your family. Like when yeah. you make a, when you make a, um, a pact between two families, you will share a peace offering. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and a marriage, I think they shared a peace offering as well. So it's yeah. like a celebration. It's a feast. You're sharing a meal with each other. And then part of it, um, 
goes up to Yahweh God in the form of an ascension offering. Um, but the idea is that you're you're sharing a meal with your God and with the people in your celebration feast. I think the Passover meal is exactly that. Um, and it definitely points to Jesus and his his Passover meal. Well, that's exactly the reason why Paul gets so twisted about um, uh, t- sharing Gentiles and Jews, sharing table fellowship, is that that mm. to him is the gospel. Yes. Is, mm. and, and I mean, that's as clear as day in Ephesians 2. But it's it's all over like First Corinthians and a few other places where he talks about like, it, it's not just like this mystical thing out there, like completely all about symbolism. It, it, it's Practical. about how the, by doing, by sitting down and taking communion and by having this kind of love feast um, uh, and, and how you treat the people in terms of like where you sit them and, and, and whether and you're discerning the body or not first. is how he puts it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, that's, that is how you demonstrate your participation in Israel. Yes. Mm. I think that because we're talking about what they went into greater detail in the second uh, episode, which was really helpful. I, I really wish that that would have been kept in mind in the first episode, because I think it would have given a little bit more orientation um, to some of the things like Josh was like how you mentioned that there was times that he was leaning one direction and then he would swap to swap to the other one and then he'd lean back and it was really confusing and disorienting. But if you have this, all right, base level sacrifice is a meal that is shared between God's people and God, then the rest of it orients around that. And, and it makes it a lot easier to navigate the all the different sacrifices. And then you get to see, okay, this one's not actually a meal. You know, there's, mm-hmm. when that stands out, now you see, okay, mm-hmm. why is this one different? All the other yeah. ones have been meals. Yeah. Why is this yeah. one different? And I think that, that would have been really helpful to start there. Like you said, start with the second episode yeah. and then the first. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would actually recommend people kind of listen to them in that, or that order yeah. for that reason. The, when, when you read through Leviticus, as I've done several times, you get to chapter 16 where it describes Day of Atonement and the language changes massively. Like you, you wouldn't notice it unless you get pretty familiar, unless you have this special relationship with Leviticus. Um, <laughs> but everything changes. Like it's, it's different, mm. um, even to the point of putting both hands on the animal. But the, like as N.T. Wright says, it's the only animal that doesn't die. It specifically does not die. It's sent mm-hmm. out, um, and the yeah, only one that has sins. We're supposed to read it over. as different. Yes. Yep. Well, and, and that was one of the yep. things I, yep. I, I appreciated yep. with the that Tim brought out is like the handling can't really be a transfer of sin, and that's such a common mm. way to look at it. But like, if you think about it, I'm bringing a blameless gift to God, and then I'm going to transfer sin to it and be like, "Here's mm. my blameless gift that's been tainted with sin." Like, it just doesn't make any mm. sense. Mm. Um, and so there, there has to be something it would else be, going on there, yeah, right? Yep. Yeah. It would be unthinkable. Like, it would be an abominable act to take that goat with all of the sins placed on it and put it on God's altar yes. and offer it up to God. Mm-hmm. Like you. Yes. You couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah. Well, the yeah. guy who takes the... And I the think Azazel you need to have it... 
Go ahead, Phil. Yes, I think <laughs> about viewing that what the other sacrifices and offerings do. And then you read about the and that goat. And then, yeah, I think what you're going to say is that the Boshi's clothes before he can come back into the camp, like he's yep. considered unclean. Yep. Yep. Just by yeah. touching it. <laughs> Which is yep. just like, you know, like how how in the world could that possibly go into into the sanctuary? It can't. And and that's part of the point, you yep. know. Um, yep. So the other thing I think that, that's helpful, and, and this is something that I thought was interesting that they didn't bring up, is uh, when they're talking about the, the korban and, and trying to define what that is. Um, you know, it's like the, the, the thing you bring near that you bring near. <laughs> I think it was kind of how they said it. Um, but um, or when you bring near the thing brought near, uh, maybe um, something like that. Um, when that is translated into into the into Greek for the Septuagint, the, the translators that were doing it, that were Jewish, that understood all of these things, translated as doron. They translated as gift. It's like, so when you bring your gift to the altar, like, oh, oh, like that brings so much clarity to me. <laughs> and yep. and yet it was it was absent from that conversation. This is just another kind of thing of, you know, do we want to put all of you know every every bit of this is how we understand it in that one word? Probably not. But it gives so much clarity to include that and to recognize that that's a huge part of the 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 range of meaning we're dealing with here. <laughs> I think it's really important to remember that that I think one of the main reasons for Leviticus is to describe what that gift should be um, yeah. and which is blameless or unblemished. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not completely alien to... I think that is super important. Yeah, it's not completely alien to our our practices today, like uh, at a 15 year anniversary, you, you get crystal. Um, there's, there's certain gifts at certain times, right? Mm. Um, mm. You know, what's your 25th anniversary is silver. What's your, you know, your 50th yeah. anniversary is gold. We, we have, we have these rules when it comes to gift giving that is reiterating a, re a long-term relationship. And I, I think that that it, it's not the only way to see what's going on in Leviticus, but it is a very helpful way to see what is going on in Leviticus. Like this is a housewarming gift for the presence of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is so what is he expects. Incense, right. Yes. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm giving, I'm putting up incense and, and barbecue come yeah. on over, you know, like <laughs> come have a meal with me. Yeah. And, and, to me, that just gets sharpened when we consider that the majority of these sacrifices that are prescribed in Leviticus for, for sins, for actual sins, are for unintentional sins. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost exclusively. And so, like, A, that goes against this whole transactional, okay, I stole from somebody, therefore I got to have to, I have to go, you know, give, give, give a goat or something like that. Um, but it also demonstrates that, like, that... The, the entire point of that is not to balance an equation necessarily. Right. Mm -hmm. The whole point of that is to, is you are in someone else's house, you are in someone else's space and you have knocked over a vase, you know, in their, in, in their living room, you have to do something to make it better because, or else you're going to have a relational disconnect yeah. here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And what do you do when your kid knocks it over? Well, that's a different kind of thing. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's a whole different, it's all about that relational dwelling with, dwelling among. That's the the, the core central foundation of yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing that 
I wished were brought out a little bit more was that it's not only moral failure or it's mm -hmm. not that you've wronged God. You could just have given birth and yep. you still need to offer yes. this in offering. Yep. Or you Thank could have you. just buried your parent and touched mm -hmm. their body or rescued someone who's just had a heart attack in a field yep. and touched their dead body or something that has... I've been chatting with people recently that has affected me. Like you could give birth to a stillborn baby. Mm. Yeah. And it's is that a so sin? hurtful to tell someone that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's so hurtful no. to tell someone that that's a sin, that, that you've broken a relationship or you've wronged someone. I think the sin offering is, is to repair damage and it's to heal, um, being unclean yes mm -hmm. but we need to i think we need to redefine what it means to be unclean mm -hmm. uh, un unclean is not a is not a moral thing it is definitely mm. a it's a more ritual thing uh, I, I mean going <laughs> there are things in that in that type of sacrifice where it's talking about like afterbirth or touching death or all of those things it's not necessarily there's no way to read it as this there's something corrupted about you yeah mm. that that uh, that's a twist and on it. It, it it's the thing of, of the man born blind right did he mm -hmm. sin or did his parents sin no <laughs> like mm -hmm. this was done so that god's glory could be manifest here and and so you know i i think maybe the way to look at it is that um moral failing does cause impurity but mm. there's there's a lot of impurity that happens without moral failing Right. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was the thing that, that I really felt uncomfortable with in the first episode was that the moment they started to talk about atonement, while they did get into later, what are we talking about cleansing? Are we talking about ransom? What are these different things? There was a moment when Tim said something about, like, you know, you've wronged the people have wronged Yahweh in some way. And that was like that was the first yep. example that came to mind. And it's like, yep. well, that is a subset of this whole thing. The whole thing is mm -hmm. about having the purity to be able to safely enter in. And yeah. there's so much about the p things that deal with purity that are not about moral failing, yep. mm -hmm. but then there are some that mm -hmm. are. And, and yep. so mm -hmm. we have a class of things to deal with that too. Kind of like the whole and unwhole, <laughs> as if that, that sacrifice specifically right. Right. is, it's a declaration of you are now whole and welcome back. Um, I mean, because mm -hmm. you look at how we would deal with that today, and I don't mean to be crude, but there's, there's certain times where, you abstain in consummating a marriage for that very reason, mm -hmm. right? And when that's over, you, mm. there's the welcoming back. And I think that that's looking at it the wrong way. Like I need to atone for something in, in the way that we've been understanding it. I think that's wrong when we could be looking at it as, no, this is, I get to share a meal again. I get that intimacy again. I'm, I'm being declared whole again versus there's something wrong with birth. There's something wrong with bearing my father. There's something wrong. Yeah. You know, that that's yeah. Anyways. Well, and, and, and <laughs> the, the clearest example of that, of course, you know, is, is childbirth yep. and the, and that's where my, my, tension my discomfort with the whole substitution identification you know i press my hands on the animal therefore it now is me and so it dies in some way or in and i know tim kind of struggled to really articulate that well but the problem is like if you're if you just went through childbirth then you have to then go give a chata which is that that sin offering purification offering 
Mm-hmm. There is no sense in which, like you said, like, you know, someone has wronged God by doing that, but they still have to do that. And so how would they huh. be identifying in any way yeah. if the animal, like, it, mm. it, it, it doesn't make sense to be able to do that um, in this like hyper moralized framework. It's just, right. it's all about ritual impurity, ritual impurity. And as you were talking, Phil, I, I, I almost jumped in and was like, I don't know if anyone's ever read uh, Matthew Thiessen's Jesus and the Forces of Death. I excellent, yeah. excellent book. Have to, have to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it basically, well, for one, gives a nice little chapter length summary of Jacob Milgram, which is worth the price of admission on that alone. Mm-hmm. Because all these like categories of ritual impurity versus moral impurity and everything else, and uh, you know that that kind of quadrant of uh, holy, common, clean, unclean, all that, all those kind of things. Like it's really, really important, absolutely critical for understanding Le- Leviticus. And so, the the Matthew Thiessen's book is really good just to simply have that you know background alone. But then beyond that, he starts talking about how Jesus's goal was not to upend and take away the whole ritual purity system, or even for that matter, you know, the food and dietary regulations. The whole goal was to just deal with the root problem, to deal with the forces right. of death that were causing the ritual impurity that made childbirth require, you know, the, the chata and, mm-hmm. and the other things like that. Um, uh, and, and that's why it's really, really important to understand that that's the background in which Jesus comes in. And that's mm-hmm. this, the, the context in which his sacrifice makes sense and his ministry makes sense. Yeah, uh, definitely yeah. touching on his ministry, mm-hmm. um, him being able to touch a leper or him being able to mm-hmm. um, interact um, and make him according to the rules, make himself unclean is that, yeah, it sounds like what, what you're talking about him dealing with the forces that are making someone ritually unclean, dealing with the very root problem of it. That's, that's amazing. And then that gets projected into what Peter goes through uh, on the roof with, look, do not call unclean what I have made clean. There's a whole chapter on Acts 10 in that book. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yes. Oh, yeah. I need to read that book. Um, so other, a couple of connections there. So, um, thinking about the holiest things that were most consecrated, like when something touched them, those things were actually made holy, Mm -hmm. right? But you had to destroy them now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But like, I, I feel like there's a picture there, even like a type there of like, you know, Jesus is the holiest thing. And so when he doesn't become unclean, he makes them clean. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have that, that kind of connection there. Um, you also have this this a sense of um, with uh, Father Stephen de Young's dissertation on First John two two um, uh, the you know um, cleansing not only of for our sins but for the sins of the world uh, is how people usually think of it and the way that he kind of rephrases that because the sins of the world isn't really in the Greek is you know not only for our sins but for the whole world <laughs> um, and and saying like there's a cosmic cleansing that actually. Christ accomplishes in in the heavenly tabernacle when he takes his blood in as the, our great high priest that that actually makes like transforms creation in some way and I think that that's like a really great way to understand what's going on in Acts where you look at it and you say like when Peter starts talking to people and he, and he's like so this thing happened with the Gentiles <laughs> like in his head he has all of this leviticus all of this purity stuff in his head where it's like people touch the ark you know Uzzah touches the ark he dies right um you have the sons of of levi levi 
um, that you know offer the the strange uh, strange uh, fire. Sons of Aaron. 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 Yeah. Sons of Aaron. Yeah. Sons of Levi are a different kind of thing. Um, but the Sons of Aaron they offer strange strange fire uh, and and they you know they die. Like yep. this is a big deal. The sacred space is a big deal. And now and suddenly you have the Holy Spirit indwelling Gentiles who mm. eat bacon. didn't die <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't die like this is a complete reframe of the entire way that Israel has understood how the world in sacred mm. space works and yeah. I, I think it helps us to frame like what happened with the atonement it has to be around cleansing somehow because how else yes. does this work yeah so so that was go ahead Phil sorry what Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were going to talk, but um, no. that was one thing that I was um, uh, kindly struggling with <laughs> uh, uh, with with Tim Mackey was how he was explaining atonement um, and 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 that actual word uh, uh, kaper. Yeah. And I, I know, like, I believe it's in the sacrifice or the um, um, I, I think it's in the sacrifice, like short little five minute video. Um, he, he talks about as a covering and that is something that I've kind of raised an eyebrow at before, because even though that is in the word, that's not long, uh, that's not what most of the scholarship is, is pointing now. It's mostly saying like, it's, it's usually more like a, uh, a wiping away or a wiping off or something like that, rather than like covering over. It's more like that, like Milgram's ritual detergent rather than like a ritual blanket, so yeah. to speak. It's not and, sweeping it under the rug. It's actually removing the right. dirt. Exactly. Exactly. It's actually removing it, which is again, you know, part of that, what Jesus is doing actually. Removing the dirt <laughs> yeah. um, but like when he started talking about ransom being in there and I mean, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, <laughs> but I've done a lot of reading of Hebrew scholarship and Hebrew language scholarship. And as clearly as I can tell, yes, ransom is is in the sense of the word but like there was one thing he was taught at one point he mentioned like there the word means both things and, and it's all there i forget exactly how he said it but it was essentially i got the impression that he was essentially saying like there's ransom and there's cleansing and they're both packaged they're both like intertwined like this and they're always together you see one right. you see yeah. the other. i don't think that's the way it works honestly um partly because like there are moments like in exodus 30 i believe it is where there's an atonement price that's paid um it's just a bunch of a certain number of shekels and it's like I, I have a hard time seeing where cleansing fits into that like that right. seems clearly like a ransom price and then there's other moments like in the sacrificial context where if ransom is there it is very deep <laughs> like it's yeah. not in there at all yeah um, like in any kind of explicit sense. And so I just, I, I want to be really, really careful and cautious that we don't just, you know, barrel through and say, okay, it's a ransom. It's, and, yeah. and again, I'm, I'm not saying it's not there. It is, but it just has to be careful because for meanings of words, always context and usage determines yeah. meaning. Yeah. And I would just want to figure out where in the description of the Levitical sacrifices, yeah. is there a sense that you are ransoming Right. your life back i think we sense. see that more with the passover right mm. yes um, and yes. when we mm. when we start bringing ransom language into that yes. the closest you get to any kind of actual 
compensatory ransom is what you were talking about, whereas ransoming the firstborn back much later yes. <laughs> in mm -hmm. the process. Um, yep. But like you have this talk of being ransomed from Egypt and, and there's no sense of payment. It's a smackdown. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yes. it's like the ransom. Don't touch my like, kids. <laughs> like, you know, Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt lose. That's the ransom, you know. <laughs> yes. um, and and I, I think we have that dynamic, too, when we look at, at, at what, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and resurrection and ascension is you definitely have a sense of, like, the, the, the conquering of the powers and, and the principalities. And, like, it's, it's a victory, right? Mm -hmm. That may not be all of the meaning of it, but to talk about that in ransom terms and think of it as an exchange, I think kind of confuses the categories when you draw mm -hmm. the parallels with with the Exodus and you go mm -hmm. like, this is a deliverance of people. And that's how they were set free from slavery because ransom mm -hmm. could mean that. Mm -hmm. And Jesus doing the same thing, mm -hmm. but it's literally like, and now people are going to be set free from all of the gods of the nations because they're going to see that offering them worship is bad and doesn't need to be done. They don't need to fear them anymore. And right. you don't need to have this, the other aspect that Paul gets after people about, which is, you know, don't have fellowship with demons. Mm -hmm. Like, don't offer them mm -hmm. sacrifices because that's what you're doing. And and somehow we see that and we reread that and we go, oh, sacrifices. Oh, communion and fellowship. That's neat. And we don't carry it over to how we understand what sacrifices are in in our context with God, who is the creator. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it just, anyway. <laughs> well, and yes, uh, if you do. Oh, go ahead, Phil. If you do a word search for how ransom is used in the Bible, it's. Mm -hmm primarily used as rescue language yep. um, I've, and God is the one doing the ransoming. God ransoms his people from Egypt and in the Psalms and yep. all over the old Testament, it's always rescue Exodus language. I thought that I thought it also was applied between Abraham and him, his rescue of lot right before he meets Melchizedek. Now I, I, I tried to find it, but I, I, I wasn't yep. able to and, find it in time, but I and think in that's... family you ransom. Yep. 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 And yep. that ransom it, within a family, <laughs> you rescue family members. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that oh, I've got to look for. Yeah, well, uh, and I think you all, <laughs> and you also hear that that ransom language in the context of like slavery and servitude. Yes. Which yep. I think is very applicable to Egypt and the rescue there too. And and that connect to me connects directly to Paul in Colossians when he says like you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son it's that kind of transfer of ownership just like in the Passover you have you know the the Israelites who after centuries are probably not all that separate from the Egyptians I mean let's yep. not forget that Joseph's two sons were half Egyptian anyway so anyway um, so you, you you have the Israelites that are kind of bought out of that that context and so the that that purchase price to kind of transfer ownership from one domain to another like that's the only way that i can kind of see ransom in the sacrificial context particularly when it comes to that like pressing on of hands is that i i mean honestly like unlike mackie i really don't see that as like as an identification like this is now me for a whole bunch of reasons, but yeah. I see it more as like a dedication. Like this is now, and, and this goes back to Milgram's categories of, of, of common versus uh, holy. So it's more like this animal is, is blameless and that, but that doesn't in and of itself make it holy because again, it's not about like moral 
moral purity here. So that animal is blameless, but it's still common. By pressing the hands on, and, um, then I transfer it from that, that realm of common and the world where sin and death reign and rule, and I transfer it to the realm of the holy, where it now gets dedicated for a certain service. specific service to Yahweh. And that's yeah. what makes it acceptable. Not this kind of substitution, vicarious identification In process, mm. but more like simply the idea that like now it has been, its ownership, so to speak, has yeah. been transferred. And that fits with there is identification. It's this is the gift that I'm bringing. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. And, and that, that's what you also see in the use of Paul when he's talking to Timothy about laying out of hands mm -hmm. by, the, by both himself and the leadership is mm -hmm. that that was a gift we gave you and you need to use it properly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, you think, think of it from that perspective is that anywhere else it's laying out of hands. It is this dedication to a specific service, right? Mm -hmm. Where Paul is, well, Paul is commissioned. They lay hands on him everywhere else. That's what it's used for. So why is this a, uh, this animal is now me and it gets to go into the Holy of Holies and die on my behalf. It, it doesn't, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem to fit with the, the entire narrative where you've got earlier in the story, Jacob um, laying his hands on Joseph's sons, right? That's they're they're <laughs> Yes. He's saying they're my sons now, but the, the point comes down to is still they're being set apart for a specific service. That's different than they're, they are now me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see the exact same language when the priests are dedicated, they, yes. the hands are laid on. There's even blood applied to the earlobes. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same language. They're being, <clears throat> they're becoming set apart for a holy purpose. They're now becoming, um, holy holy priests a little bit extra holy <laughs> and, and you even get a um, but it's the same language you even get a little bit of that with the the sprinkling of the blood on the people with the covenant which is the only time mm. it's sprinkled on people right it's like that mm. sense of like you you're part of the covenant you're part of yes. a nation of priests but then there's yep. still these priests that are are you know moving even closer in that sacred space and, and mm. having roles of, of being the go-between to um to foster that 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 good relationship uh, and, and it gets interesting, too, because this this frame of the sacrifice and gifts and relationship carries really well into the New Testament when you start having Paul talking mm. about grace and faith and all of that. The framework of that in the first century with patronage was, you know, that you couldn't earn a grace gift from a patron. They are of a higher status than you. Right. There's nothing you can do to, to earn that. But if they choose to give that gift. Uh, to you of their patronage, you're expected to reciprocate. You're expected to reciprocate with faith, with pistis, with with allegiance, with lo loyalty, right? And there are things that you will do um, as part of that relationship to demonstrate that you want to be in that relationship and back and forth it goes. To not reciprocate that gift is to signal that you don't want the relationship. Yes. Right? So like, it's, it's crazy to me, once you start to frame the sacrifice in this way and see it that way, how well that carries forward into how we talk about the, the, the relationship with, that we have with God through Christ and then the, and the Christ gift that, that we are given, uh, and then the reciprocation of that with pistis, with faith, faithfulness, loyalty, allegiance, all of those words are kind of crammed into the meaning of that. And you have to look at the context again, like you were saying, yeah. Spencer, to figure out like, what are we talking about here? You know. Yeah. We're talking about a king. We're talking about God. 
there's probably a lot of a loyalty and allegiance built into that because that's what you're supposed to give to someone in that position, you know? In light of the mercies of God, let us present ourselves as living sacrifices. Yes. Yep. Yep. And that's what does exactly. that mean if it's all about death? Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Living sacrifices. Living. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the I mean, I could I, I could just hear the well, certainly the, the tension in John's voice and the yeah. kind of like difficulty in Tim's voice with trying to like explain, well, okay, well, if there's this identification thing, then why does the animal die? Because yeah. it's blameless. Mm. And, and I think it's just because like they're, they're, they're using the wrong frame for mm -hmm. the entire process. Like the whole goal of, of those sacrifices is to, is to dedicate the whole animal, the entire being, the nefesh, the soul, the, the whole life, you know, which includes, because like in the case of, I mean, and every sacrifice is a little bit different, but I'll just, you know, just focusing on the, on the, uh, which is that like purification offering, the blood has certain things done to it. You know, some of it gets poured on the altar or at the base of the altar. Some of it sometimes gets taken into the Holy of Holies. And then you have the flesh, which sometimes gets eaten by the priest and sometimes gets burned up on the altar. And then you have the kit, the inward parts or the awful O-F-F-A-L is uh, um, it, so that's like the kidney, the liver, and then the fat kind of like around it that all gets up on the altar as a kind of symbolic communion as a symbolic table fellowship with god um and th that thing is what is called the you know sweet savor or the um pleasing aroma um and then you have like the the flesh that uh, gets um in some cases uh, i'm not entirely certain off the top of my head if if uh aren't not, not the flesh, uh, the hide, sorry. Mm. I'm not entirely certain if, if the chata hide gets given to the Levites or not. I know it does in the case of the Olah. So that gets given to the Levites to kind of care for them. And then the rest gets burned off in the in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. Outside the camp. And I just don't see how that identification works at every single point of that that, that whole process. So the whole point yeah, is the if entire you want to get an animal. equation, yes. how does it work? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. everything about the animal the inward parts the blood that carries the life the refuse you know everything gets offered as a gift as a as as a food offering you know in explicitly in some cases and and how does that work with like this requirement for death well I mean, death is there obviously because that's the only way to get to the rest of it right. but it doesn't make sense in this living sacrifices context yeah. that paul talks about yeah. So it makes much more sense if you to kind of shift the whole frame and say, this is about gift giving. This is about communion. This is about fellowship. This is about a how God makes a way, how a holy God makes a way to purify so that he can dwell in the midst of an unholy people. And, and, and death is an expression of a dedicated life. Yes. So mm. when you have a dedicated life, that also is doing the same thing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I, one of the other things that's kind of interesting to me, I was thinking about this earlier, was just like, we get really hung up on the fact that there are animals that are killed in the sacrifices. Really hung up, right? Mm. And yet, like... Super Bowl people, Sunday? Yeah. Mo <laughs> yeah, most of the people that get hung up on that have no problem with the way that we butcher meat in the modern world. Or if they do, they just ignore it. 
yeah. right? Um, and, and so for me, like I started thinking about it, it's like, you know, this is how a lot of the societies worked is that the temple would do this, they had the meat, they would do all these things, and then it went to the marketplace. Uh, or then it went to the family that brought it, and it was a feast. Like, this was kind of like butcher shop plus ritual, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and if you think about it that way, then the killing actually isn't about like, this thing needs to die. There's no ritualization of that. That's very quick. Usually it's the offerer that does it and not the priests, which makes it kind of odd to think ritual and think like not priest doing Mm it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Um, yeah. If it's about executing God's justice, why doesn't God execute God's justice? Why does a sinner, like it doesn't make sense. Yes. Uh, well, right. and, and why doesn't the, and like, if it's about wrath, then why doesn't the priest ritually act that out and like torture yeah, the animal yeah. or yeah, the priest has the representative of, kind of, of things that, that don't happen. Um, and yeah, the priest is, you're right. They're the, the representative of both mm-hmm. sides. Um, yeah. and so, um, to me, it's like, what's weird to us is literally just, you made that killing public and we're uncomfortable with that because of how we like to have our meat butchered in the, in the silence over here. Yeah. Um, and then it's the blood manipulation that weirds people out, right? Okay. Uh, and that's the part I think that maybe is the hardest to, for us to understand. But um, but that's yeah. the point. <laughs> that's like if there is, I mean, I I will appreciate that 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 Mackie and you know, and he's following Morales and several others, you know. But like I I appreciate that they're that they get that that's the point that the blood equals life, yes. and then it's mm-hmm. like this application of pure powerful life onto a tainted contaminated space that acts as this ritual detergent that cleanses that sacred space and then kind of resets everything so that it can god can continue living in the midst of the people i i do appreciate that um i just i just felt like that little two minute window there in the podcast was where they really struggled to articulate why death why is it even there and i think it was because they were kind of still framing it with that like well, humans, humans suck. Humans have created this world that, you know, reco- that is, lives in death, swims in death. And it just, it was unconvincing for yeah. me. The, one of the things I was thinking about earlier too, was just, um, it seems to me like when we talk look at Hebrews, you know, it talks about the fact that like the blood of bulls and goats can't actually take away, mm-hmm. can't, can't cleanse, right? And yet that's what they're supposed to do in Levitical sacrifices. So you look at that and you kind of go, okay, <laughs> like, are you saying that didn't work at all and it wasn't designed to work? What are you even doing? And um, I, I think maybe the way this works, and, and this is something I'm still kind of working out, but um, we, when we partake of communion, we are partaking of bread and wine. We're partaking of the body and blood. Again, people have see those mm-hmm. relationship between those things different ways. Okay. Um, but like we're connecting into we're remembering Christ's death. We're connecting yeah. into that sacrifice, right? And that is something that God has provided for us to nourish us spiritually in some way. Um, there's a connection of that back to that. Yes. And I feel like maybe what's happening with the Levitical sacrifices, and we were talking about this back and forth, and <laughs> why I'm bold enough to even say it is it's speculative in my mind still, but um, I feel like the Old Testament sacrifices work because they are a low resolution ritual participation in, in the death of Christ. Yes. Uh, and that it's, it's, it's not that the blood of the animal actually brings life to death because that animal had to die. So it's not the conquering of life over death, even though it kind of is with the blood, the animal's still dead, right? But with Christ, it is because he conquered death. 
And so when you're connected into that ritually through all of this, then it is a conquering of death through the blood, through the life, um, because you're, you're connected into the victory of God over the powers of sin, death, and demons. <laughs> like, that's mm. it. You know, that in my head makes sense that it's both ways connecting into that central core event. Yes. Our archetype. We have... Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it's been helpful for me to, to redefine or rethink about what God wants. God mm-hmm. doesn't require a death. The yeah. Leviticus, I think, is pretty clear that what, what God wants is the life, the lifeblood of the animal is acceptable to God. We can't say that God requires a death. We can say that God is showing and teaching that he wants a blameless life. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't give God a death that is required. He gives God the blameless life. And that life can be, I don't want to talk about transference, but Jesus' life is acceptable on behalf of humanity. Well, uh, when I read Isaiah 53, that's exactly how that suffering servant language gets talked about. Because it says, like in yep. verse 12, that uh, he's a suffering, uh, that he bears the sin of many. Um, and, mm. and, and that he pours out his nefesh uh, uh, unto mm. death. So uh, that, that whole context, like bearing the sin of many, I mean, as Tim very good pointed out, that's not the sacrificial animal because that animal never bore sins. It was just the Azazel goat and the priest. Those are the only two Mm. figures that are sin bearers. And so it's like, which of those two is Jesus acting as, or or, 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 as you put it, uh, Joshua, that kind of low resolution is that Isaiah 53, a low resolution image of. And um, it's, it's more like that consecrated priest who offers his whole life as living sacrifice of faithful and righteous service, which is exactly how, you know, Peter talks about the whole community of believers. You are a royal priesthood. Yes. Um, And so, I mean, there are definitely sacrificial elements in that Isaiah 53 picture of Jesus' sacrifice, but it's just, it's not there as a sin bearer. Well, and I think if we're going to talk about the sin bearer, then then you get into that day of atonement language and you start having conversations about, is it the scapegoat or the goat for Azazel and what does that mean? And mm-hmm. um, and so maybe the closest you could come if you want to get into that is, you know, Jesus bearing the sins of humanity into the into Hades and then being like, all this stuff that you, you know, like, it's like the ring of power, like all this stuff that you thought was, was controlling everything and was so valuable, it's worthless. And here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like that's the closest you get to, to a sin bearing idea in the scriptures that Jesus fits. If you think of him as both goats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you focus on the priest, which obviously he is too, like th- there's all of these different layers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but in that case, mm-hmm. it's it's literally bearing the sins away into the wilderness, into the, mm-hmm. the like the, the the archetypal wilderness of death, <laughs> yep. and then like, you know, there they are. And even if you want to talk about ransom language, I could almost go there and say something like, Jesus bore the the the, the sins, the wages of the sins is death, 
he goes in and he says, "Here's all the sins that you, like, you, you brought I've in, the, in the world. Uh, you charged yeah. to my people. I'm going to drop them yes. at your doorstep in exchange for their life." Yep. Um, and the like, free gift of God is eternal yeah. life. You could you could maybe go there too. Um, I think that may be the closest we get to any kind of a ransom that gets paid at all. But it's literally paid in worthless currency. Yes. <laughs> you can um, have this back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. So I don't know. But the, the, that's like the closest thing I see when I start to connect those dots. Again, some of that is is you know just kind of like, this is kind of cool and maybe it makes sense, but maybe it's not the primary metaphor we're working with here. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, and um, just one last thought real quick for me, um, uh, Mako Nagasawa, I don't know if any of you are familiar with his stuff, but like the, the anastasiscenter.org is a treasure trove of resources. And um, I mean, he talks about it a lot as like a medical substitution, um, sort of like a dialysis machine of like, you know, taking in the, the impurity and then it, you know, the holiness swallowing up the death and then giving back life. And I think that's, wow. that, that image has mm -hmm. really stuck with me as like a really good one for understanding the Levitical uh, sacrifices. Like if we keep focusing on the death, like we miss the point, the whole yeah. point of the Levitical sacrifices is not to kill something, but to give back life, life. by mm -hmm. partly by God continuing to dwell, mostly by God continuing to dwell among the people. But then also like there's the extra, you know, giving back of life of providing for the, for the Levites who are, uh, who, who are limited in their ability to be able to hold land and have livestock yeah. and stuff like that. It's supposed and to be anyway. <laughs> for the people, providing for the poor among yep. the people, you know, providing, this is a gracious provision of, and giving back life, giving back life, giving back life. And I just, I just want to be really, really clear that when we, when we focus so much on, you know, it has to die, the animal has to die. Mm -hmm. We run a real risk of missing that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, it, and I think when we look at, at the atonement, really what we're seeing primarily with Christ having to die was if you're going to conquer death, you kind of have to die, you know, <laughs> but is that what's needed to accomplish the other parts of what's going on? That's where mm. I think we, there, there are these, there's an equation and this kind of mashing together of things that, that I think maybe has been mashed together a bit hastily, uh, thinking that mm. now we have a mechanism that can explain everything. Yeah. And it's an, an over explanation that leads you to error. I think that's what's, there is mystery in it. It's not, you can't, you can't nail it down. And I think that's how it's supposed to be. And over explaining it always is going to lead to error. And if that's, if that's what's happening is that, oh, right, now we've got the equation. We've balanced the equation. We've solved for X. If we're looking at it that way, we're going to get the X we solve for is going to be an error because that's not how it was intended anyways. It's a relational thing. And, you know, any of us that are married, um, it doesn't work that way when you're trying to interact with your wife, if it's <laughs> mathematical, <laughs> like you, you can't take your notebook in there and go, all right, this is what I do first. I turn down the lights. The next thing I put on very white, whatever it is, and, that's and not then you going get to work. The does not compute <laughs> <laughs> exactly so if it's all relational why are we trying to force it into an equation that mm -hmm. um, because i've harmed god in some way by burying my father by having a child by actually sinning accidentally or intentionally 
why are we forcing that all into this equation? It shouldn't be an equation. It should be, how is this relationship going to continue where the presence of God burns away death? Mm-hmm. Now you're attached to death. We've got to deal with that because that's going to kill you in my presence. <laughs> how yeah. do we continue the relationship? Yes. That's the thing I think is, is like, like you said, I think we so focused on the death part because it may be the gruesome part, but it's like, That'd be like having a, 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 a football party or, or, or your favorite sporting event, having a whole slew of barbecue and everybody's freaking out about how many pigs died today. <laughs> you, you, you know, nobody yeah. cares. It's the meal. It's the relationship. It's the enjoyment together. Mm-hmm. So. And, and yeah, go ahead, Phil. No, no, I didn't have anything. Okay. Um, there's just a little lag. So we're, we're like, we keep going, oh, he's a... okay. <laughs> um, so one of the other kind of things with this, uh, and we talked about this as well as we were kind of preparing this, was one of the things that made me really uncomfortable in that episode, uh, the first episode on atonement, was when Tim brought up Moses as an example of this kind of vicarious, substitutional atonement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Like, I kind of get it because Moses uses the word at one point, perhaps I can atone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let me go try to make atonement, right? But again, within this frame, it's like it doesn't really fit very well because, and, and, and Tim even talks about this. It's like, it's like you know, God will take the, the blameless life of somebody in, in exchange for someone else. And then he kind of does that with Moses, even though he doesn't take his life. And like, for me, like, the big thing is like, he didn't take his life. So is that what we're talking about? You know, like, um, it, it just, it felt like it was, it was discussing this thing and, and getting into Exodus, that's not really the story Exodus is telling. Mm-mm. Right. Um, yeah. so Tori, you were looking at that. Do you want to talk about that or do you want me to ramble on? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, so I was, I, I, I went back cause I actually wanted to read that part of the story and go, all right. Um, obviously my memory is not perfect. So, um, let me, let me look at it and, and how does it progress? And it's, you know, Moses is on top of the mountain. He's getting the 10 commandments. God knows what's going on with the golden calf. He tells Moses, these evil people, I'm going to destroy them. And God says, don't do this. You know, um, you brought them out of Egypt with such a strong hand yeah, here. Says, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're going to do that, might as well destroy me. He goes, okay, I've forgiven the people. I won't destroy them. And then Moses goes down, sees what's going on, says, gets angry, and then calls everybody to put on their swords that's with Yahweh and slaughters people. So there's still a death. <laughs> like it may not be an animal death, but there's death. And then after that, Moses says, you've done a grave sin. And uh, God's response is, um, yeah, I've stayed my hand, but those, those that were accomplices are a part of this. I will take judgment on. So it's like, that's not the good, that's not the best example of this vicarious, uh, this um, mediator that, oh, yeah. it doesn't require death. Um, look, Moses said it, God said he forgave him. No, that still happened. Something happened, yeah. you know? So I, I just, for me, it was like, that's not the right. If you're trying to make that argument that God will accept someone standing in the gap, I, I would love to hear that argument made. <laughs> I think everybody would. Um, but 
that's not the right story to, to draw from the, if you're going to try. The thing is that the animal doesn't make atonement. It's God makes atonement or the priest mm-hmm. yes. makes mm-hmm. atonement. So you can't read atonement into the, the animal doing anything. Right. It, if anything, it, the animal is the acceptable offering. Mm-hmm. And then as a response, although I don't want to say as a response, <laughs> um, atonement is offered to to the person or or the place yeah. or the camp or the whole nation, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And a lot of it is to objects. So how do you deal with that when you're talking about moral mm-hmm. failing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and if it's the priest, yeah. if it's God, the, the priest, priest acting in the place of God, right? Uh, and if it's God who's actually one doing the atonement, how does... Mm. It seems like God is atoning for, in a, in a lot of cases, he's atoning for inanimate objects. Mm-hmm. That is clearly mm. cleansing. Yep. Right? Um, it's also kind of weird to talk about God atoning himself. Like, I don't know. It's like either God is the actor or God is the one being atoned. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and mm-hmm. so propiti- <laughs> propitiation would, would propose that he's the one that receiving atonement, not the one mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and maybe you could have an argument for both end. And I think that's where a lot of people go with penal substitutionary atonement is that it's, you know, God in Christ offering the sacrifice to the Father and the Father accepting that. And that's the wrath appeasement. But again, the, the equation that we see, and I, I don't want to use equation, the examples that we see in Leviticus don't really fit that. Well, and neither does the the Moses situation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, that you were talking about. I mean, I yeah, I know in some of our conversations a little, a little bit before this, like it, it seems to me like it's it's a thing where, I mean, <laughs> exactly what you said, Phil. God's the one doing this. Like yeah. this is not the people manipulating God into like for forcing him into like, he has to make atonement because the death has occurred now. Like mm-hmm. the equation is now balanced. Come on, let's go. That's like, a pagan it, view. It, of it, it is. Yes. Right. 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 It is very much like God is going to do what God's going to do. And he has made a way, you know, accommodated the worldview of his people to give them this atoning, to give them the, well, that's what it says in Leviticus 17, I have given you, you know, the, the blood as a way to make atonement, um, because the life is in the blood. Um, but then there are other times, like with Moses, where Moses says, perhaps I can make atonement. And, and God says, okay, I, I, will, I will not wipe out the, the whole people. But I am going to take care of the people who have sin. They, yeah. the, the, there are still consequences for sin, which is very much that Exodus 34, 6 and 7, you know, mm-hmm. uh, loyal love, compassionate, gracious, merciful, uh, 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 grace for thousands of generations, and also <laughs> uh, will not clear the guilty. So I think I just I want to make sure that we leave room for the sovereignty of God to kind of do whatever he needs to do which I know sounds really weird coming from someone who's not really into like this PSA framework. But the problem is that the, the whole PSA framework makes it this equation to be balanced. Yeah. And, and that feels to me like almost like a magic system yes. of manipulation uh, of God. And it really, this needs to be, no, God will do whatever needs to be done to make restorative justice happen. Mm-hmm. If that means people or animals die, that's what that means. 
And if that means that people or animals are, are cleared and he just wipes the slate clean and remembers it no more and removes it as far as the east is from the west, then that's what that means. But that's God's prerogative. And he gets to decide yes. when and how he forgives. Yes. Hmm. Yep. And, and I think we see a lot of examples where like that Moses one is like a weird example, both for the sense of the mediator that's successful because it's like partial success. Yeah. <laughs> um, and which, and also a really weird one for the substitutionary thing where it's like, if the whole idea is, is the, you know, he can atone and then the there isn't a punishment for people. That's clearly not what happened in that story. No. Um, but we do have a lot of other examples in scripture of, of God, you know, kind of, he's he's looking for someone to stand in the gap for the people mm -hmm. and to um to um advocate for them on behalf to be a mediator huh? right you have uh abraham with sodom and gomorrah you yes. have um you know hezekiah you know calling out to god and basically saying like hey like you know i'm on my deathbed and and like i've been faithful <laughs> yeah like please <laughs> and god's saying you know okay you know i'm going to give you another 15 years you have uh, David in Psalm 51, and and there's a tragic side to that too, because he he repents and he said he talks about God accepting a, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, not looking for sacrifices, and we see that God does forgive him in the sense that there's still a continued relationship there with David. There's still a, a continuation of the promises that God had given to David, and yet David's son through Bathsheba still dies. Right. So there's consequences and those aren't always avoided just because there's forgiveness. Um, but there is a, a very real sense of forgiveness and continuing continuation of the relationship because God is the one who desires to do that. Um, we were talking a little bit about some of the, the applications of that with maybe how we can take that mindset with God and then apply it to people and maybe kind of mess up how we deal with human relationships. Um, so Spencer, I wanted to just give you a moment to talk about that because you have a counseling background. So you understand yeah. forgiveness in very awkward situations in ways that a lot of people don't. Yeah, it's very awkward and very delicate. Um, I've worked with couples who have experienced infidelity. I've worked with individuals who have had abuse perpetuated on them and uh, you know a whole bunch of other you know wide variety of time opportunities for, for forgiveness. And it's really delicate because you have to be careful about when you well, certainly me as a counselor, I can't, you know, push people to forgive, certainly not before they're ready. Like there's all kinds of value system imposition that goes on in there, but it's also a little bit re-traumatizing to be like, okay, now you need to forgive this person. Um, it has to be a process and, it, and it's very nebulous. It's a lot like grief. Like I always tell my clients with grief, like you have to let the process go. Like it has to go through its own at its own speed in its own way. And forgiveness is very, very similar. So I think the, uh, about the only thing that I've found as like a common thread with that is that idea of like, I'm not going to hold it against them. Um, like I, it happened and I feel it, my body still carries evidence of it, whether it be by scars or just like, you know, my body twitches and reacts every time I, you know, have that particular trigger, you know, uh, mm -hmm. engage. So, um, you know, it, it's not gone. <laughs> like the sin the that was perpetrated is not, it, it happened. And I have a daily reminder that it happened. So it's not behind me and I'm not past it. But at the same time, I'm also not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to demand retribution. I'm not going to demand 
that specific pound of flesh back, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, and so I, again, it goes back to that restorative versus retributive justice. Like the whole idea of forgiveness is saying, I am refusing retributive justice. Um, mm. And I feel like that process that a lot of my clients have kind of worked their way to and through when they've been through horrific situations is really reflective of what's in the biblical narrative is that God, when God says, I forgive, he's doing so as the only one who is ideally and righteously positioned to be able to know when restorative justice can say enough and when it says more. And that's, that's something only he knows. Um, And so I, I just want to make sure we leave space when we talk about God forgiving that yes, it definitely does mean sometimes a payment and sometimes not. And that's his call, not ours. Yeah. Well, and, and the other side of that is, you know, with God, generally speaking, when he's forgiving, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here to continue this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. God can do that because he's God. Like no one can abuse God, right? Right. To bring that over into the, the kind of situations you're talking about and say, well, therefore, what needs to happen for you to forgive your abuser is for you to continue the relationship is a totally terrible way <laughs> right. of, of trying right. to apply this yeah. thing because yeah. you're not God. You can yeah. be abused. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because like, abuse is yeah. all about a d- imbalance of power and control. Yeah. And that yeah. doesn't exist when it comes to God. <laughs> I mean, it he does, but it's, it. <laughs> it's, it's the other way yeah, around. It's There's the other like, way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Man, so I guess maybe some closing thoughts. Um, I know Phil is actually on his lunch break, so we maybe yeah, I'll have Phil, to you wanna, head off soon. Yeah, you want to give closing thoughts first, Phil? Um, yeah, I guess I'm still processing, um, but it, it's helpful for me, like I said before, to think about God wanting or accepting a life, not a death, and Jesus mm-hmm. does that. And then to think about what that means for the way I live my life um, as a living sacrifice in community, because living sacrifice is written to the Jews and the Gentiles who are now being forced to live together. And they are one living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, How do I live? What does my life look like that would make it acceptable and then what are ways that I can offer offerings to God that might that I can learn from Leviticus? So what are acceptable offerings that I can offer to to God? Um, but then thinking about forgiveness, um, the, the wrong that has happened to me or to someone else is still there like you can still bear the the hurt of being wronged or the the destruction from a sickness or a cancer or whatever it is Mm. and someone can be forgiven for that but there's still damage um and i think that's where i've been thinking about atonement as filling in the gap Mm. That's really beautiful. 
And there's so many different metaphors about it, but when when I tried. So you're breaking up pretty bad. Um, I don't know if there's a connectivity thing. The or... family that started us into the relation rather that he is in to share. Um... <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if his battery was just like done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna just open this up. Oh, there he is. Ah, all right. Am I there back? Yeah. There we um, go. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. I was saying some really profound things. You guys yeah. missed it all. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. You were, you were talking about the kind of sacrifices you can bring and learning that from, yeah. from Leviticus yeah. and learning that from Scripture and. Um, you know, bringing valuable yep. things and, and, and that kind of thing. And then you kind of had cut out and in and out. So what, what was next? Okay. I, um, I was just thinking about the mixed metaphors of atonement and blood and forgiveness. Um, but where it becomes real for me in thinking about atonement, um, filling in the cracks or making things whole again. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I drink the cup in communion or the Lord's Supper, um, whatever Jesus has done, um, his life that has become acceptable to God. Um, and he's invited us into that to share that relationship that he has with his father. Mm -hmm. But when I drink the cup, I imagine that my life, the cracks have been filled in. Mm. Um, so his lifeblood is, yeah all the holes and the stuff that has degraded in my life that his blood is filling that in and we know that it's acceptable mm -hmm. we know that his life is acceptable to the father and that is becoming part of me and that's essentially who i am and that's exactly what's happening in leviticus <laughs> yeah yeah yep. mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. that's what Paul calls out as well. dwelling in the midst of the people and sharing communion fellowship mm. food and life with them and giving that back yep. to them so that they can then be shaped and transformed into now uh, his image bearers his the ones who carry his name out into the world and um and that's how he's going to restore and redeem all of creation do you think that's where mm. paul is using or, or it says our lives are hidden in christ mm. yep yep yeah well, and, and I think about that, you know, in, in terms of how we we think about um, communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, like what is happening there, right? Part of that is us partaking of Christ, and part of that is us becoming the body of Christ more and more together. Mm. It's it's a, it's not just an individual thing, but it's it's a corporate thing of Him knitting us together more and more. So that community aspect is there, and Paul, that's part of why Paul was so mad when they weren't acting that out well and not discerning the body. Um, but then I, I think what we see is that sense of um, God has provided us the raw materials. We then make the bread and the wine. We bring that as a, as a gift to God, as a Thanksgiving gift, Eucharistia, literally <laughs> in Greek, yeah. meaning, you know, giving thanks. Um, and then um, as we offer that up, God does something to, to transform that, to make that uh, 
actual like food for us in a spiritual sense. Um, however you understand that happening, we don't need to have that argument. Um, but like, you know, it, it is spiritual food for us and it, and it helps to transform us and it helps to, to then um, bring us to the place where we are now part of the body of Christ. And if we think about the body of Christ in, in communion, the body of Christ is offered for those that are present. The blood is poured out for those that are present, that we become part of the offering that God then is giving for the life of the world. Um, and, and so it's in our self-sacrifice in, in interacting with other people that they can see the love of God in what Jesus did, in what we're doing, as we're, as we're kind of living that same pattern in our lives. And so um, that just is the kind of, for me, brings that kind of full circle. It's like, wow, like what kind of application of life is that? <laughs> Goodness. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Life is swallowed up in death. <laughs> yes. That's the mm. theme. That's the biggest. Mm. Or, or, sorry, the, the other way death around. is swallowed up in life. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah! <laughs> Um, yes, but then yeah. there's more. <laughs> the upside down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's the, you know, the thing of like, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Right. I, I think the clearest answer that we give is he had to die because conquering death kind of requires dying first. <laughs> and Hebrews 2 talks mm. about that very specifically, that he is the one who, um, you know, took the power of the one who held the power of death the devil, right? Um, and, he, and he did that in his death, and he did, mm -hmm. did that in his resurrection. And, and you have that the victory there alongside the cleansing and the intercession and all of the other things that Jesus is doing in his life, offering his life to God as a perfect ascension offering. Mm. Um, I actually kind of think the use of ascension with the ascension and, and with the, it kind of makes sense to me. It's like, <laughs> he is the, the sweet aroma, like his entire life mm. being, being lifted to the Father. Um, and then all of that, like the, there's that sense of, you know, when we think about are these sacrifices, you know, still needing to be done or are they fulfilled? It's like, oh, they're fulfilled, man, like filled to the full because he accomplished everything that they were meant to do uh, right. in, in a sense that is beyond what even they were capable of. Yeah. I'm going to have to log out, guys. So right. I've got to head off. <laughs> Thank you very much, Phil. Right, uh, good lot, to though. chat. Thanks, guys. Any, uh, any closing thoughts from you guys? Yeah, this is um, it's been really stretching uh, for me to to um, re reinvestigate Leviticus, reinvestigate my understanding of atonement, and it, it's been a long process. So it's not just been you know uh, I saw this video a couple of weeks ago or listened to the, the podcast yeah. a couple of weeks ago and then was just like oh everything needs to change and it's only been two weeks. Um, it's been a whole lot more. Uh, and, and the discussions in the last week have been really, really stretching that have culminated in, in, in this discussion. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the, I like threading themes from beginning to end. And if, if, if I, I have a tendency of putting things on the back burner, if I can't see the threads, the, the color of the thread we're talking about in Leviticus or mm. the Exodus, wherever we're at in the Bible, if I can't see that thread somewhere else. And so when we're talking about it being a meal and then um, the idea that, you know, um, the things that Phil brought up about how in the, the, the pagans understanding of the flood narrative where um, 
I don't remember the name of the Noah character, offers the sacrifice and then the gods show up like flies and how this is different and that God is actually the one initiating the relationship and initiating the, the meal. Um, and then all of that being culminated in what we celebrate as the Passover or the, or, or Pesach or, or the Eucharist <clears throat> and seeing a new light being shed on what Paul says in second Corinthians five near the end of it. And I never understood why the, the, his thoughts went this way, talking about now we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. beseeching on God's behalf, be reconciled to God, because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. This makes a whole lot more sense now when you're looking at the gift nature of sacrifice, when you're looking at the sharing of a meal uh, nature of sacrifice, when you're looking at this from a more holistic across the board view and seeing that this is, it's not focused on the death, but that death is necessary to get to life, to get to the meal, to get to all the other gifts that come along with that, with that death. Uh, just seems to be a much more healthy and and beautiful way of looking at it. And it's not as confusing to me as going back and forth between, yeah, the death is necessary or it's not necessary if someone's willing to stand in the gap. It, it just seemed like back and forth there. So anyways. Awesome. I think for me, just like a, a last thought would just be that the, the things that we the things that we believe matter <laughs> or at least they should matter. Um, and I mean, like the whole reason why I got into Leviticus and why I started really diving deep was because uh, my daughter was uh, going to be born and I just started to realize, I'm like, okay, I know a lot of things that I've been handed down to me. And I've always kind of skipped Leviticus when you do the, like the whole reading plans and stuff like that. And I just don't know what's in there. It's like day. <laughs> I believe and I don't, I mean, not that I was questioning any of that. I just couldn't articulate it. I couldn't understand how and why and, or anything like that. And so I started actually reading the text and that's what, ironically, that's what kind of broke me, I guess, like, you know, like upended things is mm. actually going back to the text and reading it. And so I, and, but again, the whole reason why was just because I want to pass that on to my daughter mm. and I want to make sure that she doesn't walk out of her life going, man, my dad gave me some really messed up ideas about God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's really what, what drives me when I have these kind of like discussions here and online and whatever, it's just to say that I want to make sure that everybody can be able to clearly articulate who they think God is and then mm-hmm. match that up with what the text actually says God is mm-hmm. and see if they actually line up or not. Um, and then live yeah. like that. And that's, I mean, you want to talk about this whole trend of, of deconstructing, like it's, it's people literally doing that, but without having enough of a through line or an, an alternative frame or narrative to hang the things that they still think are valuable on to be able to hold on to the faith uh, and they, and they deconstruct because they, they have these ideas of God that they, they, they can see some of them are not healthy, but they don't know what to do with it. So they walk away. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, I having kids, man, that's, <laughs> that's definitely a motivator for me too. It wrecks you. Me too. In a lot of ways and a lot of ways for good. Yeah. 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 Mm. And I think it helps us understand God more. Oh, you know? okay. When we, when we realize like, okay, I, I know a little tiny bit of what it's like to be a father. And then we think of all of what it means to call God father and go, wow. Like, and, and I think that's why that frame of restorative justice is always the overarching one when we talk about things. And when God is ex- executing his wrath and his judgment and things, it's where things have gone so far that there is no recovery, that they're impeding the restorative work that he's doing. And so this thing, this people, this, you know, uh, this king, you know, wh- whoever it is, you know, this needs to stop. That's where the retributive justice actually occurs. And then God continues his restorative work because that's the focus, because God is Father. Uh, yes. So that. Yeah. And he huge. loves to give good gifts. <laughs> yes. And he loves yes. to receive them too. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah, so I guess I would just encourage people, um, you know, after this, uh, you know, because we're going to be sharing in different places, um, go back and listen to the the episodes with with uh, with the Bible Project, especially that first one. Um, I might recommend doing them in reverse order and doing the second one, the one on sacrifice first, because I think you'll see some of the resonance with what we're yeah. saying, filled in with a little more color and detail. Yeah, go ahead. The, the only clarification we keep saying set first and second. It's yeah, actually the second and the third. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, just so you know. Oh. Uh, yeah, because like the, the, the first one is You're how right. God reveals himself in Leviticus, which yes. is really good on its own terms because it talks a lot about God's accommodating nature and how he's kind of working within the system. Yes. And then the second episode is the one on atonement. Right. And then the third episode, we're talking about in the Leviticus scroll series. Mm-hmm. The third episode is like about it's titled like something like what are burnt offerings for, but it's like, mm-hmm. it goes through all, all the major offerings. So, okay. Yeah. I think I was thinking the first and second ones dealing with sacrifice and atonement, but yeah, you're totally right. So yeah. don't right. want to be confusing there. Um, yeah. <laughs> go back and listen. Um, you know, hit us up. Uh, you know, we're in a lot of discussion groups you guys are into, uh, especially in the Tim Mackey one. And um, we'd love to hear, you know, thoughts, um, challenges, whatever, um, how this maybe helps um, all of that. Uh, knowing that we're we're not here to, um, you know, throw any shade. <laughs> mm. um, we were very appreciative of the Bible Project and Tim Mackey and John Collins and all, all and everything they do, um, and but you know just trying to kind of further the conversation even more, uh, and maybe broaden it out a little bit. So yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for hopping on here. This is awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tending Our Nets podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at the Raven Creek Social Club and by searching for us on social media via Tending Our Nets. Raise us up.